0: For Rewire Radio, I'm Jen Stanley, and this is Choiceless. Last week, we heard from Tasha, who talked about her surprise when anti-choice protesters used her race to try to shame her out of having an abortion, saying that she was being complicit in the black genocide. This isn't new rhetoric. Anti-choice activists often evoke civil rights leaders and appropriate their language in an attempt to control black women's bodies. Today's storyteller, Cherise Scott, knows this all too well, and she's devoted her life to helping women and gender nonconforming people of color to take back control of their bodies and lives through her reproductive justice advocacy. She came to this work through her own experience and has been gaining major national attention both within and outside of the reproductive justice community. Last year, she was a guest on Full Frontal with Samantha B. And a few months later, she made a Facebook Live video in response to Nick Cannon's comments that Planned Parenthood was a eugenics program meant as population control for Black Americans.
1: What's up, Facebook? Um, You know, I really can't keep responding to this foolishness that I'm hearing back and forth about, you know, Planned Parenthood being the reason that the Black community Uh, you know is losing babies or whatever and they supposedly killing our babies you know what you know and I'm gonna say this as a black mother I'm gonna say this as a black woman who has had an abortion as a matter of fact I've had three okay Uh, I'm gonna say this as somebody who not only does this work for a living but lives this life as a single black mama raising a single black ass child in America today y'all need to get out of this whole Planned Parenthood foolishness, okay? You all can keep...
0: Cherise says these kind of narratives shame women of color and poor women while simultaneously erasing them. And she should know. When she was 29 and living in Chicago, anti-choice activists masquerading as healthcare providers told her a lie that would change her life forever. Here's her story.
1: 14 years ago, back in 2002, I was, you know, trying to be an artist. Uh, I'm, You know, my background was music and communications. I was on tour. I was the lead of my tour, realized I was pregnant while I was in my first big gig out of New York, you know, and uh, I was just trying to you know, do what I needed to do to be able to get back into that career that I really thought was about to blossom into this thing that I'd always hoped for that I worked so hard for, Um, you know, and I, but I wanted to be a mother too. And I just wasn't ready. And I definitely wasn't ready in a situation where uh, the other parent was not willing to be there uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, or, or financially.
0: So she searched in the Yellow Pages for an abortion clinic and made an appointment. She had a day job at the time to supplement the money she was making with her music, and she had to take the day off work for her appointment.
1: They were located in, you know, a very unassuming um, office building, downtown Chicago. Um, the office looked kind of uh, legal-ish, Um you know, there was a white woman, older woman, she, you know, got up from her desk and greeted me, uh, shook my hand, thanked me for, you know, coming in today, you know, confirmed that I was the person that was my appointment, uh, you know, they had me sit down for a second, fill out some paperwork, uh, and then I was taken into a room. And in that room was just a, you know, basic little, you know, kind of office room with some seats and, you know, television, um, maybe a VCR or something at the time, you know, um, and, um, you know, maybe a DVD player, I don't, I don't really remember, but, uh, there was then, you know, there were the woman, that same woman came in and talked to me and, and asked me, you know, had I really thought my, my choice through, um, and I'm like, what, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, maybe this is the counseling section. You know, I didn't really know, you know, what to expect. It it's still, you know, at, at that moment, it still was not like, um, clinic looking. It didn't look like it was a doctor's office. It just looks more like a, you know, just an office, um, and so, you know, I go in there. I'm like, okay, so we're having a conversation. And she asked me if I considered, like, adoption. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a black woman. We don't really do that. We raise our babies, you know. If we can, if we can't, you know, more than likely we're going to terminate this pregnancy because of, it's just, yeah, somebody else raising our children a lot of times, you know, especially voluntarily isn't necessarily the thing that's always the road traveled so much for black women, but... uh so I think that she, you know, when she realized after a while of having that conversation back and forth, she realized that she really wasn't able to, I guess, move me wherever she was trying to move me, which was definitely away from abortion and to consider adoption. Um, I think that she kind of gave up, had me sit there for a moment. You know had me look at a video, and this video uh you know showed these different steps of an abortion process you know it showed you know this kind of animation of the triceps going into this you know the woman 's uh uterus and pulling the you know the baby 's head out and you know definitely like clampsing the head and it was just you know like a full you know full grown baby you know in 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 the you know womb and everything it was just very uh very graphic and then you know, having the doctor uh, put the dilators and those types of things on the, you know, and they're bloody and sitting them on the, the, you know, uh, the tray and all of those. Types. So it was just it was it was graphic and just weird. And I just, you know, and, and with the understanding that they really wanted me to understand what I was about to do. So they wanted to show me. You know, this video. And so that video went on, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, you know, of different types of procedures at different stages of, you know, sizes for the baby and these types of things. Uh, And then a black woman was sitting in to talk to me. And she tried to, you know, I, by that time, I'm sure, you know, they, they, you know, I was asked by the white woman if I was on food stamps. I was asked by the white woman if, you know, I, you know, that was I on WIC, did I, you know, have other kids, those types of things. I was like, no, I mean, I had a, you know, I was working for a, a quite a fluent national legal firm at that time. And uh, I mean, I had a job. I, again, I was just coming off of tour, you know, and I was the star. No, I was fine. You know, I, was, I wasn't in a financial lurch, you know, lurch or anything like that. I came for an abortion. So, you know, once we ruled out that I wasn't, I guess, you know, this kind of uh, understood welfare queen type, they sent the educated black girl in to talk to me. And she, you know, wanted to have a conversation about me having... Uh, the baby, understanding that, you know, I'm trying to pursue my dreams and, you know, they they get all into your business so that they can kind of use that to kind of dissuade you. Yeah. You want to live your dreams, you know, like, like the college student. Oh yeah. I know you want to go back to school or you want to finish college, but there's really not a, but I'm here for an abortion. And by the, you know, so we, she goes into this whole, you know, I thought the same thing, you know, my husband and I, you know, we weren't ready to have a baby. We were just recently married and you we were going to have an abortion and we thought against the the abortion. We thought that wasn't the best idea. And and now that the baby is here, we love our child so much and all this and this and, you know, and and that was great. But I was like, ma'am, look, you know, I'm pregnant by somebody who says he don't want me and he's not going to help me with this baby. Am I at an abortion clinic or not? You know, because I didn't really have time for the back and forth. I was just irritated by this time. I mean, I've been sitting here almost for two hours, you know, and I'm not, you know, I've not seen a doctor. Nobody's come and, you know, check my pulse, taking my blood pressure. Like what I didn't even know what to expect. I had never had an abortion. I didn't know, you know, what to expect at the time. Uh, You know, no, you can't, you know, finally they just had to say no. I was like, so,
0: so why am I here? Charisse was at a crisis pregnancy center. Crisis pregnancy centers are nonprofit organizations that often masquerade as abortion clinics, but their purpose is to dissuade women against abortion. She was furious, but also concerned. The people at the crisis pregnancy center told her that an abortion could hurt her chances of getting pregnant in the future, and she knew that someday she wanted to have children. She just wasn't ready yet.
1: I was scared. And I had to come back to this boy's daddy and say, I want to have a baby. They said that if I do this, I'm never going to be able to have a baby. Um, maybe that's not that maybe that's why he's not here. You know, maybe because we had a decision. We made a decision. They Um. I don't know that I ever shared that part before. You know, we made a decision. He gave me the money to get it done. Um. I didn't go through with it because I wanted to have a baby later. They lied, though. One, not even a year after my son was born, I lost my job. Um, so you know, I had to deal with unemployment. I had to deal with trying to figure out getting unemployment wages. I had to deal with um, the fact that I then lost my health care. It was different. It was hard. Um, And again, you know, those people were nowhere. There wasn't any, like, follow-up call. You know, they were, how are you? You know, how was the birth? You know, none of that. You know, none of that. Y'all send me away with the rattle and a onesie, but there wasn't any follow-up to make sure that, you know, after I brought this baby, determined that baby was okay. Or that I was okay.
0: And she wasn't okay Cherie said she suffered from postpartum depression, and losing her job while navigating single parenthood set her up for years of financial struggle. She got pregnant three times after her son was born and had three abortions. The first was when her son was still a baby.
1: Well, that time, I got a little bit more savvy to figure out exactly where I was going, and I just went with the household name. Uh, the household name that I knew did abortions. You know, I didn't know know that place. But by the time, you know, I kind of had the experience, I got a little bit more information, right? So the household name that I was familiar with was Planned Parenthood. So I found a Planned Parenthood in my community. I I was very fortunate in that situation. The person who, um, you know, I became pregnant with was very supportive and very loving and very caring um, and was really supportive of whatever choice I had. You know, he was there with me, stayed with me, you know, took care of me. everything. Um, So that experience wasn't bad, but at least it was more informed than the the decision before. Um, I was very um, lucky, you know, to go somewhere where, I mean, the thing that was really great was a question that I will always remember and that I even mentioned in my rant. Uh, I was asked, you know, had anybody forced me to be here today to get an abortion? And I was like, no, you know, nobody's forcing me. And she was like, you oh, know, okay, they just just want to make sure, you know, because you know we don't want to force you. This is what you want to do. You know, I just thought that was really great. Um, that's also something that you don't hear. You you know, for for folks who want to you know in, um, use this kind of narrative that Planned Parenthood has this agenda to like eradicate the world of Black people. You know, like Planned Parenthood doesn't have like the gun. In the street on us, Planned Parenthood, you know, didn't get me pregnant. That second abortion, like I was, was a contraception sabotage issue, and that third abortion was really um, a choice. I was actually about to get married; that we were engaged, um, and you know, I just I chose not to because I wasn't a hundred percent sure that I was in a relationship with somebody for real that I was going to be able to to live with forever. Just, you know, it's really traumatizing when you have to raise a baby alone. You know, people don't, you know, and I'm not saying that he's a bad person, but I will say that the trauma, it's something that cannot be ignored, you know, just like any other kind of trauma. Uh, and, you know, maybe people, you know, don't want to believe, you know, folks don't take postpartum depression seriously. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I think that those three abortions after after I had, um, you know, I went ahead and brought that baby to term. Um, yeah, maybe those maybe I would have brought another baby to term, you know, had I not been uh If I would have been able to get the first abortion, let me say it like that, I think that I may have, I'm sure, I would have gone ahead and had another child at another time. Um, I'm sure
0: that I would have. I'm sure that I would have. Cherise felt she didn't have any control over her life, and more specifically, her body. She never learned comprehensive sexual education or how to track her cycles. Then she learned about reproductive justice, a term created and popularized by women of color activists and organizers in the reproductive rights movement. The term is more all-encompassing than reproductive rights and calls for the complete physical, mental, spiritual, political, social and economic well-being of women and girls based on the full achievement and protection of women's human rights.
1: It wasn't until, you know, after I had my son, after three abortions... Right, that finally. You know, I I happened upon a reproductive justice founding mother who was a a, a mutual friend of another you know a friend of we had mutual friend at a party. I'm overhearing what she does for a living, and I'm just like, oh what? And so you know, I just asked her. You know, she talked to me. She said that she would totally you know teach me about my body. She did. Um, She asked me if I wanted to volunteer. Volunteering turned into uh, her asking if I wanted to be on her board. Um, That later turned into an opportunity for a paid position as a health educator and campaigns coordinator for her organization. And I jumped at the opportunity. Why? Because, well, first of all, I thought what she did was amazing. Second of all, it seemed so where I needed to be. You know, I don't think I really realized um, how much I needed to be uh, a part of this movement. And, And I always, I say sometimes that, you know, like I didn't choose reproductive justice, but I totally feel chosen
0: by reproductive justice. Sharice worked at reproductive justice organizations in Chicago before moving to Memphis and founding her own organization, Sister Reach.
1: Sister Reach is a reproductive justice organization, and the only one actually here in the state of Tennessee. And we do our work from a three-pronged strategy of education, policy, and advocacy, all of that uh, centered in a framework called reproductive justice, which was crafted by Black women in 94 who didn't see our lived experiences, our cultural experiences, uh, our disparities really represented in uh, health care reform, uh, even during the Clinton administration, uh, and wanted to make sure that our lived experiences were not only amplified, but that we led our stories. And so for Sister Reach, that's what we're doing here is trying to make sure that we center those who are most vulnerable in the city of Memphis, which is over 60% African American, but in a state where we're only at 17% of the state. However, the issues really impact our lives uh, that happen in legislation. So we do our work uh, through comprehensive reproduction. and sexual health education uh, policy and advocacy for uh, women and girls of color, poor women, rural women, teens, uh, and their families.
0: Back when she was still in Chicago, she started hearing about anti-choice billboards in Atlanta that called abortion a black genocide. After moving to Memphis and founding Sister Reach, she realized they were popping up all across the country. In Chicago, they evoked newly elected President Barack Obama, saying that Planned Parenthood was killing the next black leader. And then they came to Memphis and Sister Reach fought back.
1: You know, you've got this beautiful black girl, um, you know, on, uh, 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 you know, a billboard and, and she's, quote unquote, an endangered species. You know, she's unwanted. You know, she's not unwanted. You know, uh, what's unwanted is the way that systemic oppression plays out in the lives of black and brown people. You know, what's un- what's unwanted is, you know, having to fight uh, just to be able to make decisions about my own body. You know, you're not here if I pick my nose, but you got to be here if I have an abortion. You know, you're not here if I'm raped when I'm being raped, but you got to be here if I want to consider an abortion. You know, you're not here to make sure that I'm eating. Right. But you, you can be here to make sure that I don't have an abortion. I mean, so so those things, you know, they just it just doesn't line up. It's not, you know, a, a good uh, argument. And so, by the time they made it to twenty to, in twenty fifteen, when they were here in, in Memphis and erected here, you know, not only did we already have a strategy, we were able to deploy it quickly. We were able to mobilize, you know, people quickly, uh, and not just any people, but advocates, preachers, fathers. Right. Because they were targeting black fathers, basically saying, you know, this is dad's little princess. And, you know, eight, you know, uh, her her heartbeat, you know, uh, or something like she has a heartbeat after 18 days or something like that. False. Not even like scientifically correct, you know. Um, so that's you know, that's what, uh, you know, has been like I said, it's been a very disingenuous you know tactic of uh, of the re- of the religious right to be honest cuz cuz really we got to say who it is is doing it it's the religious right That are also behind these types of billboards, Um, and we were able to get the the ones here down, you know. And we did our own campaign, you know, and we were able to, um, you know, erect our own billboards with messaging that was comprehensive. First of all, trust Black women was that was very prominent on the billboard. But the other thing that was very prominent in the billboard are the things that a mother was supposed to need, or a baby is supposed to need, or a family is supposed to need, or a young person is supposed to need, so that. an abortion is the last option, you know, unless it's just something that they wanted to do. Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that you, you care, if you care, then make sure, you know, my mommy has access to healthcare and a, and a good paying job, you know, keep my family together, make sure my daddy, you know, has what he needs, make sure I have what I need. We can expand, you know, Medicaid, make sure we got comp sex make sure we got access to condoms. That's what our billboards um, said. Right. And, um, And they kind of blew up all over, you know, kind of in within our movement, you know, it was it was one of the, I guess, one of the first times that Black women or you know that we taken back the language in in a kind of public way that way, um, and it was really impactful. Um, and since then, there have been other types of billboard, you know, campaigns. Then, and and I mean, the history of billboard campaigns don't begin and end with Sister Reach because billboard campaigns have always been really a a very uh, uh, important piece of how folks were being able to mobilize large groups of people, you know, um, and even us. I I, I look forward to being able to do new billboards about, you know, other issues or, you know, even more synthesized messages about the same issue, to be honest, to make sure that at the end of the day, you know, it's not even just just about trusting black women, just trust women, period. You know, trust any woman, you know, trust that if you make sure that she has everything that she needs or you don't hinder her of getting the things that she can, you know, to get the access that she wants, then, you know, you don't have to you know, you don't have to help women make these type of health decisions. We're still being handled, you know, like we're like we aren't fully human.
0: The anti-choice backlash hit hard, targeting Sharice in a Facebook ad campaign that used her photo in full name. And then they started attacking her on Twitter.
1: You know, and initially I was terrified. I, mean, I was, you know, I, I needed, I wanted to make sure I had security cameras. I really wasn't sure what to expect, you know, like these, some of the things that happened kind of after that was the attacks on Planned Parenthood and folks, you know, walking into Planned Parenthood's with guns. And, you know, these are very real things that are happening. So I'm always concerned about, you know, those of us who are on the front line of this movement. Uh, and, and because we've worked so hard to make sure that we center women and girls of color, We've also got to understand that in centering them, also there was a a requirement of safety, right? And so I was afraid. And so I fell off the scene for a minute. We talked about other things. I, You know, this was, you know, other staffers. I pushed them forward to talk about other issues.
0: She was afraid for her own safety and for her sons. But she also received an outpouring of support that inspired her to keep going. Cecile Richards, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, called her to thank her for her work and make sure she was okay.
1: So Cecile reached out to me. Um, she, I, I hadn't given her my cell phone number, which means so she looked for it. She went and got it from someone. So that was A, okay? Um, we, we weren't on a kind of, you know, friendship type of basis at that moment. It was in that moment that I realized that, you know, she wasn't even like this figurehead of, of, of you know, Planned Parenthood. But she's a mama like I'm a mama. She's an advocate out here fighting for women like I am, you know, and she called and was just like, hey, Sharice, this is Cecile from Planned Parenthood. And I'm just really calling to check up on you. Are you OK? Is there anything that you need? And she thanked me, you know, for being brave enough, you know, being brave enough to share, being brave enough to push back, being brave enough to fight in Tennessee. I thought that was really, really dope. And I really appreciate and, uh, and I appreciate her and I appreciate what, what they do.
0: Sister Reach is growing fast, and Charisse finally feels like she's starting to gain some financial security for her and her son. Sister Reach fills a big gap in the state of Tennessee, where by law, all sexual education in public schools must be abstinence-based. So Sister Reach works with churches in the community to bring comprehensive sex ed to young people, which in Memphis is a matter of life and death. The city has one of the highest HIV rates in the country, and 83% of all people infected in Shelby County, where Memphis is located, are black. It's possible that thousands of the people infected with HIV in the city don't even know they have it. Comsex
1: Ed, you know, for us is, is far more, it's far deeper than just the Comsex Ed piece. You know, it is mobilizing whole communities. It is uh, finally trying to put an end to what we call uh, generational, intergenerational sexual health ignorance. That's what it is. That's what it is. If Comsex Ed is not something that is offered... You know, to me, then you're basically saying you don't care and you're fine with people dying.
0: Her son is 14 now and very involved in the work his mother does. So
1: yeah, my son knows exactly what I do Uh, He he absolutely knows that I was going to have an abortion Uh, He also, you know, and I've been kind of Little bit at a time, kind of piecing Together the truths around His dad, because that's a very painful Piece for him in his life, because in the midst of all Of this, there's still another person to consider the fact That he does not have access to his father Right? So, um, but he Is definitely excited about The work that we do, sometimes I'm sure I get on his Nerves, you know, but he's one of our youth Ambassadors, tomorrow they'll, they'll They have their um, their second meeting. They get, you know, two meetings a a month. So he's one of our sister reach youth ambassadors and has been since uh, 2012. Um, He is, you know, he's a well-informed child. He's, he's, the, he's the kid because, you know, I work at home and a lot of our supplies are here that goes in here and takes condoms to school and gives them to his friends who he knows are about to have sex. That's who he is. Um, he can tell them how to use them from beginning to end. You know, he's educated about his body. He knows that, you know, he can come and talk to me so that, you know, he is uh, he's one of my biggest supporters, you know, and it directly benefits from this hard work. Jeremiah twenty nine and eleven, my favorite scripture that says, "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you," saith the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end." So, my expected end is victorious. My expected end is a legacy um, that pushed against the grain here in the state of Tennessee. You know, it is the it is my child. You know, and that despite um, all of the things. Uh, we made it and we're still making it, you know, and we're fighting every day together to to be a family and to try to make space for other families. One woman and girl at a time.
0: The story was produced by me, Jen Stanley, for Rewire Radio, with editorial oversight by Mark Falletti, our director of multimedia. Jody Jacobson is our editor-in-chief. Brady Swenson is our director of technology. Music for this episode was by Doug Helsel and our storyteller, Sharice Scott. Thank you to all the staff at Rewire, especially Rachel Perrone, Lauren Gutierrez, and Stacey Burns, our communications and social media team, for getting the word out about Choiceless. For more information on Sister Reach, visit our website, Choiceless. Thanks for listening.